This episode of The Work Ethic is brought to you by Wellbuilt Bikes. Wellbuilt Bikes is a social enterprise working to make affordable, reliable transportation available to everybody. They're doing this by gathering bikes that might otherwise go wasted or taking bikes in as donations, old bikes that might be laying around your garage, which by the way, you can donate to this enterprise by dropping them off at any time that they're open. But they gather these bikes, they rebuild them, uh, making them available for sale, refurbished bikes for sale at really affordable prices, great bikes, super accessible. And they do this so they can take the sales revenue and invest it into an earn-a-bike program so that those with little to no money can also get a bike through a small investment of community service hours, a bit of sweat equity work that they put in to earn their bike. And at the end of this program, they get a bike, lights, lock, helmet, water bottle, really Uh, and a safety training. So everything that they need to be commuters, to get around town, to have access to the rest of the city, its opportunities, its economy, uh, a a really great program. They also offer a full service repair shop on sliding scale so that it's available and accessible to everybody. They invite everybody, whether you earned a bike or bought a bike, or you're just a neighbor that already has a bike and likes to go riding to ride with them every Tuesday night. There's a group ride at 630 that you're all invited to. If you're in Tampa, Florida, their shop is located in University Mall right next to you. USF in the uptown university area. Go check them out. It's at Wellbuilt Bikes on any social platform or bikeshoptampa.com if you want to find their website. Hard work, work. Hard work. That's what they say. Hard work, work. Hard work. I earn my pay. Hard work, work. Hard work. Do it every day. All right. We're on. So sitting here with my buddy Thomas, and he has been working on a project uh, launched Unearthed, Unearthed Sports, mm-hmm. Unearthed Sports yep. Complex. Unearthed Sports Complex. Unearthed Sports Complex. Uh, why don't you, I'll tell you what, why don't you introduce that project and kind of how that came to be? Yeah. Um, so Unearthed is a department I, I guess you could call it a department it's it's a business within the underground network um that is trying to reach people through sports and fitness uh specifically uh pitching in like baseball and stuff like that uh, because i was a pitcher in college um and then group fitness classes similar to like a crossfit type feel but without being the price of like CrossFit because we're trying to reach people in like the university area. So we want to provide something that's a little bit more affordable to like help people get to their fitness goals. Um, Yeah. That's awesome. So, okay. Yeah, that's good. Cheaper, cheaper than CrossFit. I I, I can appreciate (laughs) that. It's been a bit of a barrier for me, a barrier to entry. Um, Yeah. I've been to a couple of your uh, workouts and you guys definitely work out. Definitely work out hard. Um, wanted to die a couple times. That's good. Um, you were a pitcher in college. Correct. When did you start playing sports? Oh, gosh. When I was four. Four. Um, what did you start? Uh, I believe soccer was my first sport. And then baseball, I started when I was maybe five or six. Um, and then I pretty much played baseball and soccer my whole life. Did a little bit of basketball in there. Uh, played football not really organized but like uh, just here and there yep but uh soccer and baseball were my big I guess go-to sports through high school then I came to a point where I had to pick between the two 
And I asked my baseball coach at the time and my soccer coach at the time, where do you think I'll end up? My baseball coach said, I think you could get drafted. My soccer coach was like, I think you're a D2 player at best. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, all right. I, and honestly, I like soccer more at the time. But I was like, I'm going to do baseball because this guy thinks I could get drafted. Um, interesting. Then, yeah. That's an interesting uh, approach to the decision-making process. Yeah. Um, and so then you continued playing baseball. Continued that was playing. That was in high school you made that decision? That was in high – yep. It was my junior year in high school. Um, ended up moving for my senior year uh, because of a couple – crazy things but on the the move was because of my dad's job um but moved my senior year in high school ended up going to west point up in new york um mm-hmm. played baseball there for three semesters transferred to navarro junior college for one semester partially tore, i got it took a medical redshirt there so i partially tore my ucl um then transferred to texas a&m university corpus christi which is a little mid-major d1 in the southland conference finished my undergrad there um then I kind of felt like God was calling me away from baseball mm-hmm. and got the best MBA program I got into was at university of Tampa, which is what brought me to Tampa. Um, and then through a lot of God's grace, I kind of got plugged in with the underground network. And, um, after my MBA, I had a short stint working in like the finance industry for Morgan Stanley and, uh, left that to do this sports complex. What was your MBA in? It was a, just a master's in business administration, like the general one. Okay. Um, I did some focus in like some entrepreneurship stuff, but I didn't do the actual like, I guess, entrepreneurial track track yeah, that yeah, they yeah. have. Yeah. Man, there's so much in there. Okay, so you got it. Uh, it's it's interesting. I talked with John Sanders recently, and he grew up playing baseball. I actually would love to get the two of you together. And so he, we talked a lot about, um, I asked him about early memories of work and he, which I want to ask you about. Uh, and he, it wasn't long until we got to working on his craft at baseball as a young man. And he was Mm -hmm. really, really serious about it and ended up with an injury, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of ended his, baseball career um but i thought it was a really this is just an interesting overlap it was by not by design necessarily that uh we're gonna just line up pitchers to talk to but um yeah why don't we do that why don't you tell me uh i mean you started sports at four Mm -hmm. um but what would you say is your own first memory of work no i mean it's definitely sports related um I would say my first memories of work have to be associated with um, like soccer conditioning because I was never like I was never that fast, but I tried harder than the majority of the other kids. So like but when other kids are faster than you, they're just faster than you. And so it would piss me off. So I like knew I had to basically set my mind to performing in like the physical activities that like suck. Mm -hmm. Um, and if I could outperform people in the stuff that sucks, then I could start getting better and improving my overall performance to where I could, you know, become faster, become stronger, become dig into that a little bit. So when, when do you feel like that really became clear to you when you started working on that? 
And then how did you like, tell me about that as a process? Um, it was pretty clear. I'd say it was clear to me relatively early on, maybe junior high, um, or so that I knew that I wasn't like the most naturally gifted athlete Mm -hmm. and that if I, but I wanted like sports to work out. So I just was going to have to like outwork people. Um, so that's, that's what I did. I'd be like out in my backyard hitting wiffle balls against the side of the house for like hours and hours and hours trying to like fine tune it and do all sorts of different things that plenty of baseball players do. Um, but I just tried to throw myself into stuff and to in with the effort to like get better at it and to what gave you the idea that you could work harder than other people. My dad. Yeah. Um, How so? Yeah. He, he always, I, he, I mean, he was a coach all throughout my, with baseball? Initial, with baseball, yeah. yeah. Baseball, he was your baseball coach? and soccer. He Well, he coached me up into a point. Okay. So, like, there was a point, I want to say it was sometime in Little League when I started, I stopped treating him like a coach and started treating him like differently than I would if it was just some other adult. Um, and that's when he finally kind of was just like, all right, I'm not going to be your coach anymore. I'm going to go to your games. I'll support you. I'll do all that. But, um, this isn't how you treat a coach <laughs> like, yeah. And so that it was kind of like a line in the sand where, um, he always instilled in me like that. I have to like work my ass off, mm-hmm. but, um, he always, and he always wanted me to do that in like the right way. Um, and to, uh, yeah. I'm, do you feel, I mean, so, okay. So growing up with your dad, um, was let's say hustle and work something outside of the coaching mm-hmm. experience was that modeled for you i mean even in school and stuff like that like my my mom was um she was a, a math teacher for a while when i was growing up and then um i guess education was just big in my family where it was like if we didn't get a's it was we were in trouble, like my sister and I. Um, so it was something that was just always driven to perform in like whatever you're trying to do. So, um, school, work, sports. Sounds like you're, you're motivated a bit by the stick. Like totally, totally. Yeah. yeah. My, my parents are very pro spanking. Not a lot of carrots. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) Okay. How do you think that impacts you now? Like, is, is that still like, where do you, if you think about the things that motivate you today, are you more motivated by avoiding pain or by accomplishing? Like, like, are you motivated by the carrot before you or the stick behind you? I think it's, I honestly think it's a little bit of both for me. Um, because there are, I'd say like there are goals that I'll set for myself that are, I guess you could say as like the carrot of like who I want to be in mm-hmm. like a week, who I want to be in a year, who I want to be in five years. Um, and trying to get to these like set goals, whether it's like, you know, deadlifting 500 pounds or throwing 95 miles an hour, something like that. Just like there's physical goals. There's, um, there's all sorts of different types of goals you can like set for yourself. But, um, 
I think also there's a little bit of like a fear of what I would become if I just became like complacent and just kind of let myself like slide. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably have a little bit of an idea what that might look like for sure. Um, I mean, yeah, and I'm, I'm a type one, I'm a type one diabetic. So I feel like if I did choose to like, I guess, let my like health slide, let it, like pretty much myself go, I'd be accelerating my death <laughs> um, yeah. pretty quickly. So as you talk about your goals, the one thing I, I saw on social media that you are working on your splits. Yeah. How's that coming? It's, it's still, it's still coming. It's hard. So the thing I'm doing is, um, I've done a little bit of research around it and there's this thing called proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation, which essentially it's trying to offset this natural reflex your body has where it's called the myotatic reflex. And basically if we as humans go through a normal range of motion throughout your day and that's what your body's used to. So that's what your body will allow you to do. Yep. Um, if you go beyond that range of motion, your muscles will like contract. to like say, Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like stop. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone's body is naturally capable of going to 130% of their muscles, like range of motion. Um, if the myotatic reflex wasn't like turned on, mm-hmm. um, and to, 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 contextualize that statement or to give you a basis for that statement in order to do the splits, you only need about 105 to 108% of, um, your like hip flexor and hamstrings and like adductors, uh, muscles to lengthen to about 105%, 108%. Technically you could do that right now. If someone pushed you hard enough into it. Correct. Correct. Like every, every human has the capability of doing the splits. It's just that we, don't it hurts it hurts and we don't <laughs> constantly and well the hurt the, the hurt is essentially that reflex like turning on so it's like if you can get that to if you can get your body to realize like neurally that no i can go into this range of motion then that's when you can start actually like doing that and i mean i haven't i haven't seen like i'm not doing i can't do the splits like sure just right now but um i've definitely seen some improvement um I need to be a little bit more consistent with it. You're, you're supposed to do it like f- the the programming that I have created and like kind of set out. I'm supposed to do four times a week, um, and the last last week I think I only got it like three times. But you know, here or there. I, it's funny because I was working on being able to do that. So so okay, some background. I was in gymnastics when I was a kid, mm-hmm. um, and I was pretty good at it. Like I mean, as a child, you know, totally. I didn't, I was, I was in it till like fourth grade, which I, I regret quitting. And I honestly like, this is like a deep confession. I quit because it got made fun of. Mm. Like I straight up was just like, boys aren't doing gymnastics. Meanwhile, like I had been, in, I was competing and going and I was like, I'm, I was good at it and I was strong and flexible. And I've, I've always regretted letting that get to me like friends and what they had to say. And, and I've become more and more determined over the years to, to stop caring about things like that. And you know, that's an ongoing battle for everyone, I think, but I was able to do the splits. Now my coach, when I was young, yeah, he did exactly what I just described. Like you're capable, 
So he sat on me and he just pushed me into it. Now I think that's probably better to do with a child. Totally. <laughs> right. Cause you're going to, you're just going to heal up. You're going to be fine. You're gonna be doing the splits. No, in no time. Mm-hmm. And he did, he just, you know, it was like the side split my kind of butt up in the air and he just sat on it and uh, it was excruciating pain, pinned me to the ground, said, just breathe. And then, totally, just breathe. And then, just I, breathe. I, I say that same thing and to then, so many people. Just breathe. Just breathe. I was like, oh yeah, I'm hyperventilating. <laughs> and I, and yeah, so, so I remember that. And I, and so, you know, the last couple years I started, you know, caring more about being in shape and just mm-hmm. taking care of my body physically. And so I said, oh, I want to, I want to do the splits again, that and a backflip which I know, I know that I can do a backflip. Like right now I can do a backflip, mm-hmm. but I have a cognitive block. Yep. Like physically I can do a backflip. It's not a problem. And if you give me like a little bit of cushion or trampoline, I can do them all day, mm-hmm. but just go stand in the grass and do it. I can't override the brakes in my brain. Yep. And, it, and it's, that's all it is. It's not a physical problem at all. Yep. Um, but I started working on splits. And so when I saw that video of you doing it, I was like, Oh man, I haven't been doing it. I've stopped working at it and I was pushing myself and pushing myself. And I, I actually, I wanted to purchase, you know, those machines that you turn the crank. Yep. Just, I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I've like, seen those. if you end up getting one, let me know. Cause I'll come use it. Cause I'm like, <laughs> I, I can deal with pain, but I need something forcing like that machine looks perfect. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's like, I'll just turn another click, turn another click. It's yep. not releasing, but like pushing myself, I can't, I, I release, mm-hmm. right? I'm, it's not, cl- it's not, I'm not clicked in. Um, but I think like, I think that would be a helpful tool for me. But yeah, when I saw you working on it and then the other thing that really impressed me and even back to the carrot and stick thing, you're like, Oh, I want to be, I have a goal. I want to be someone that can do the splits. I want to, I want to learn about, uh, I'm not going to remember the technical thing. The, what is the, the myotatic reflex? There you go. Yeah. Uh, you learn about this thing. You want to apply it to your body. You want to embody that lesson, know it beyond just head knowledge, but know it like in your, in your ability to do the splits. Right. And, uh, and yet you're, you're posting it online, like follow me on my splits journey, which I'm like, that adds a level of accountability that says like, you know, if you do what I did Mm -hmm. and say six months ago, I forgot I was even working on that. Uh, that's problematic now, right? You've laid this out publicly and I, I, that, and it, I thought of that when I asked you about the stick, because I wonder like if you needed the the potential negative, the yep. downside, like add the downside. Yeah, I want to do the splits, but the downside is going to really help. Oh, my God. I never even thought of that because that, that 100 percent is the down. Like then it's the downside because um, that's part of the thing that I wanted to be able to do. So I wanted to be able to get get to the splits in like basically four to six weeks. Um mm. And did it, did you put a timeline on there? I didn't notice that. I, I did not put a timeline okay, on okay. that, that but like, I want, that's, that's the, essentially the thought process. And I've told well, now other it's people, I'm going to, we're going to put this out. We're going to tell the world. <laughs> you wouldn't believe the amount of followers of this podcast. You, you, everyone's going to know. We're going to track you. I'm going to date stamp it. We'll, we'll follow up six yes. weeks from now. We'll just have you in and we'll do an interview while you're in the splits. While I'm in the splits yeah. the whole time. Um, but yeah, the, and I've, t- I've told some of the kids that I'm training with and they're kind of going through this same uh, programming and process because like flexibility is really important in pitching. So I want to make sure that like the pitchers who I train are like flexible. Um, and so I told a couple of the kids like, hey, I'm gonna, yeah, I'll 
I'm going to try to be able to do the splits in four weeks and whew. how long have you been working on it? Two weeks. So, okay, so you're halfway there. Half, halfway there. Have you measured the progress? Is that doable? Like, do you have some sort I, of, I need to buy. So I, I did not, um, there, it, you, there's a tool that you can buy. That's not that expensive. It's called like a goniometer. Yeah. Um, I just need to buy one. Uh, but I, I have not measured the, the progress. I've definitely gotten a little bit deeper. Um, I just don't know how much. Yeah. Um, but, oh, and even your, your thing on like the gymnastics thing, I can like relate to that because my sister was a figure skater her whole life. She, and she got up to where she was like competing nationally. Um, she just got to where she was so tall that she was competing against like five foot girls who could put their head on their back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and she, I mean, she's five seven. So, mm-hmm. um, she had some like anatomical things that were preventing her from like getting farther in the sport of figure skating. But I always thought I was like, Oh, that's stupid. Or that's, or I thought like everyone, all the guys who were doing it were gay or whatever. And it's like, no, they were like those, the dudes who are doing like figure skating or gymnastics are like probably setting themselves up for the best potential of an athletic career, like into their future. Because it's like, dude, there's nothing like gymnastics, but like go follow gymnastics bodies online and just watch. There's nothing like these people. Yeah. Um, and it's all functional too. It's yeah. Like, functional mobility, oh. stretching. I mean, these are the strongest. It's like, I wish, I wish I would have like back when I was a kid, I, I probably could have prevented like a lot of injuries that I ended up getting if I would have just stopped thinking it was like, it was dumb or gay or whatever and just done it. Yeah. You know? you know, I, I noticed throughout my own life as I look back on sports. So I was into, I did, so I switched from gymnastics to karate. And then, which actually those went well together. Like I should have done those at the same time. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, like that kind of range of motion for kicking was incredible. Um, then I ended up being a wrestler in high school. Mm -hmm. I was skateboarding as a hobby. Um, did some BMX stuff, but I, I looking back, I was into surfing and I, I realized I only did individualized. Like I was never, much of a team sport person. And I think a lot of that had to do with my early memories and early years of sucking at sports. I wasn't naturally like into them and I didn't have like dad coaching me Mm -hmm. or I didn't have the drive. Like I didn't want it. You know, I wasn't hungry for it really. I was like, I want to go home or I want to go skateboard. I don't want to. And I remember in little league, like, the one memory that sticks in my mind, like I still to this day, I'm like, oh, this is this is in me. Um, I was on second base, right? So you're behind the pitcher, mm-hmm. and the I don't know, they throw the ball to the pitcher like mid play, like here, the you know, catcher throws it to the pitcher, and he misses it, and it rolls past him, like toward me, and you know I'm a nice kid, so I just walk over and grab it and toss it to him. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and go ahead and tell it. Just respond to that real quick. <laughs> oh, that's great. What did what did you what did you tag you out or they, well, the... they didn't do anything. They just everybody was like, "You're an idiot. What is that's wrong with you? Hilarious. Stay on the base. You, the last thing you want is to be touched by the ball." That's so good. Uh, <laughs> but that I still remember doing that, and just like I don't I don't even understand what I'm doing out here, and I hated hated like the feeling of letting everybody down. Right. As like, you guys will be better off. If I just go over here and yeah. cheer or whatever. And I would say probably to this day, I'm not crazy about 
sports. Like I'm not interested. Mm. Like everyone's watching sports. I'm like, cool. I'll do that. Cause it's social, whatever, but I'm not following it. I'm not paying a lot of attention to it. Um, and I think it's related like, well, somewhere along the way I wasn't picked on the team and wasn't whatever. And I was like, I'm going to find a different game to mm -hmm. exceed at or excel at or whatever. And, and I, but I did like, and I still do like personal challenge stuff. Like I'm going to climb this rock wall. I'm going to, you know, now wrestling, that was, that was, so that's another thing like one-on-one -on -one contender stuff. I'm yep. like, I, I love it. I love that kind of thing. Like that kind of game. Um, tell me, about what I missed. So tell me about playing on teams. Wow. Um, there's a certain level of, I guess, family and like camaraderie that you develop and you build with um, guys that you go out. Basically, you have a common... Um, you all go to practice. Mm -hmm. You all like do the crappy workouts. You all are doing that together. You're in it together. You're sweating together. Um, you're fielding ground balls together, like getting hit in the chest, getting, trying to just get better at this like sport. Cause you all have this common goal to like become a good, really to win. But in order to win, you have to become a good team. Yep. And that's where, that's where I think that a lot of people, I guess, quit team sports is if they can't see or feel what it's like to become a part of a team that just like clicks yeah. and a team that like actually can go out and like be successful and win and yep. have that, um, I guess, re positive reinforcement of like, man, it's like, it's fun to win. Like it's yeah. fun to go out and like compete against another team and be better than them. Um, and it's just like, it's so satisfying on like a deep level that like you're standing shoulder to shoulder with like just other guys that you've gone through hell with and succeeding with them. Um, there's, there's like something about that where it's just like, it's, um, it's like an immediate, like familial connection. You don't even necessarily have to like the guy. Like yep. there's been plenty of teammates that I've, that I've had that we hate each other's guts but maybe hate's too strong of a word, but we don't like each other. We're like, we're not going to go out You're and not gonna go hang out. out. Yeah, we're not yeah, going to yeah. kick it. We're not going to do anything like that. But like when you're, when you step between those lines, when you're on the field, it's like your brothers. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I don't know, something that got, it's always like just giving me like chills. It's yeah. So I, I don't know that. And I regret not knowing it at any real deep level early on in sports. And there's a lot about, I don't know. It's funny. I think a lot about my character today was formed in like net something like a negative experience early on. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it, it shaped something in me in, you know, not being good enough or not mm -hmm. fitting in or wh whatever that thing was. And, you know, put a chip on my shoulder over time and whatever. But then I know the experience really just from like getting a group of guys like, so I lived in an intentional community and we got a group of guys together. Some of whom I didn't even know when we really, when we were getting involved, we just said, yeah. look, we're going to have some common goals and purposes and we're going to commit to sharing, uh, with each other and with our neighbors and trying to do something here. And so we all moved in together and I, 
I've never known, and and I have other experiences like this. People I've worked shoulder to shoulder with, and go, oh yeah, there's nothing like the community or brotherhood, the bonds that are formed in that. It's like you said, like you go through hell together, mm-hmm. and like the harder it was, and I mean, and so I know like you know men that are firefighters or soldiers or you know wherever they have, there is this brotherhood that emerges from this like shared vocation, common goals. Um, and, and I, yeah, I, I, I've, I'm convinced of its importance. And I, if I could like redo it, I would like go tell myself that. And, you know, when I, if, if, and when I have a son or daughter, I'll, mm. I'll encourage that as well. And, and, and really like, you know, you don't want to be the one that walked away from that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you I, I lost something in that. And I know that. Um, and so it's always interesting to me to like, get the benefit of those lessons from those who, who did, as we were talking through this, you said that you, so this all kind of, you know, tangential a little bit, but we, I was asking you about your earliest memory of work and you said, well, I was, I needed to work harder than everyone else. Um, early on in soccer really was the starting place of that. I think that's what yeah, you were soccer, saying. Soccer yeah. was a starting place. Uh, I think it more formulated in like baseball though, because, my dad, he was a baseball and football player, mm-hmm. so he was better at teaching me baseball than he was at soccer. Mm. Um, so he would, whenever he, w- I went out and like did extra work with him, it was always baseball. Yeah. So he'd go hit me ground balls. He'd go pitch to me or throw me BP. He'd go catch my bullpen, stuff like that. Yeah. What did you, so I'm, I'm interested in this. So I asked you like, you know, how did you think you could work harder? You're like, my dad told me that I could work harder. Mm-hmm what level of knowledge did you have? Like, it's weird. Like if I say, man, I'm going to work harder than someone else at this, but I don't see them. Mm. So I don't know. Like, does anyone know what you're doing? And do you, do you know what other people are doing? Like I, it's funny. I, I, uh, you, you know, Jocko willing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I love that dude. And I was listening to some interviews, some podcast, some, whatever he was talking and he was talking about in his mind. So he he was a soldier and he was talking about like preparing for war, basically like I'm going to battle. He's like, so I, I was always thinking that there is somewhere an enemy who's working their ass off for our confrontation. And I, and I couldn't possibly know how hard they were working. Hmm. So I had to, and I had to, I knew I had to work harder, be stronger, be better because we're gonna, we're gonna come in contact with one another. And it was an imaginary person, mm. but that imaginary person was busting their ass, getting ready. And I couldn't slack. I had to, I had to be working as hard or harder. I'm curious if you had any baseline for how hard people were working. Like you was like, I have to work harder than others. How do you know what others are doing? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, and that's actually part of the reason why, it's important to get into, I guess, competitive team sports. If yeah. that's something that you want to do for an extended period of time, like into college or pro or whatever. Um, I was able to base um, what I was doing off of the people who I was in direct contact with. So like my teammates or yeah. the people who I was playing against or the people who I knew who also played baseball or soccer or something like that. Um, so in soccer, I played competitive, I got, I got recruited to play like competitive when I was, I don't know, I was like nine years old, something like that. Um, 
got put on this like select team, ended up doing well in like the select league and then got bumped up to like a travel competitive league. Um, and going to like tournaments, you saw how good other kids were and it's like, shoot like or or you could go and watch the like you're a u12 kid you could go watch the u13 u14 mm-hmm. like guys and like you could compare the p- compare yourself to them or you'd like if you if it was a bigger organization maybe you scrimmaged against the like the u12 kids scrimmaged against the u14 kids and it's like the u14 kids like destroyed you guys but it's, so it's like you had that level of all right they're that much better than us we want we have to get better um and with my teammates, it was kind of more of just talking with them and yeah. like, Hey, what are you guys doing anything? Or like, let's get to practice like, you know, 30 minutes early or stay after practice, you know, 30 minutes later just to work on ball handling, juggling, whatever conditioning. Um, and more often than not, it was just me. Really? <laughs> um, and, I always tried to be a kid who was like there early and left late. Um, and that was just something that like, and initially it was honestly my dad just like, cause I, I required my parents to like drive me to practice or, yep. dri- and so like they would just drive me there early and be like, start working yep. or get warm, go get ready. Um, Beyond the benefit of working hard, did that pay off socially or with coaches or like, was that seen by others? Like, did that, um, so uh, sometimes yes. And then sometimes no, it yeah. just depended on the coach. But I that guess. was beside and, the point. Right. So yeah. you're just working to get stronger and faster yeah. and better. Um, so let's move forward a little bit. So you, now you did that career end in injury? No. So I, I partially tore my UCL when I was in, and I actually never got it fully fixed but when I was at um Navarro Junior College um and I had gotten a full ride scholarship to Navarro and but in the semester that I was there I also got the the AA degree or whatever that you get when you're at a junior college so the coach wanted me to come back for another year and I was like it's it was already a waste of a semester for me like academically to come here it would really be a waste of a year for me to come back and continue whatever this is so the coach was like okay that's fine I just won't like tell other coaches about you and I was like that sucks so um I ended up getting a coach who knew me um or knew of me from when I was at West Point ended up basically inviting me onto the campus um and they offered me they're like well we haven't seen we haven't seen you throw since um you were at West Point so we'd love to see you throw and, um, ended up long story short, got like a preferred walk on spot to this team, busted my butt, made the team. Mm-hmm. Um, but really was fighting injury all throughout the rest of my undergrad career, the last three years of my playing career. Um, and never really fully figured it out. Cause I mean, I, I didn't have the greatest mechanics. Um, and something that, I'm realizing, I guess now is a lot of the stuff that I did wrong. Cause I was still able to pitch and perform well. Like I was throwing upper eighties, low nineties. I think the highest I ever got up to was about, I threw 94 off the mound, um, which is, which is really good. Yeah. And I was with 
bad mechanics and I was just a strong, tall kid. It's, it's helpful that I'm six, five. Um, (laughs) but the career, what I realized was, um, I wasn't getting looks from, um, like MLB teams or the MLB teams who were looking at me weren't ready to like risk, I guess, a spot on me sure. or, or bring me on to like their minor league program. So the only offers I was really getting was independent ball teams and independent ball is professional, but it's, um, separated from major league baseball and it's yes, people can make it in independent ball, but it's kind of like putting off the rest of your life a little bit, um, because of how little you make, how little you get paid. And it's just, it's, holding on to that just, I guess, dream of one day making it to like the majors. Um, and I really felt like God was kind of calling me away from that because I guess in that my last year and a half or so, I found out that baseball was a big idol in my life. Um, in the sense that I was making decisions based off of, was this going to get me closer to becoming a professional athlete? versus making decisions based off of, is this something that I should do following Jesus? Mm. Um, And it was something that was very difficult for me to like, I guess, walk away from, but it was, I think it was also something that I needed to uh, walk away from for a time. So there's probably people that'll listen that maybe won't understand that decision, right? The, The importance of, you know, following, following Jesus or your convictions there versus your career goals or Mm -hmm. sports or whatever that is. Um, I don't know if you, can you just speak a little bit to, I don't know, something like driving values maybe like what, so like, you know, without assuming knowledge of like what you, you know, I think, I think it's pretty clear, like what idol means. Like you're like, Oh, something was functioning, functioning like the highest value, but it should have been subservient to another value. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I don't, I don't know if you want to just speak to that for a minute. Yeah. Um, the thing that, uh, really boiled down to as far as I guess baseball being an idol was I was making all my decisions based around how was I going to get myself to the next level um, versus making decisions based off of, all right, how am I going to love other people? How am I going to bring value to other people? How am I going to even love myself? Mm -hmm. Um, And the way that I've found that are the most sacrificial examples of love that I've ever found have always been, um, associated with Jesus in my life. And, um, I think that was something that I was convicted about, Mm -hmm. um, throughout my playing career. And I guess the struggles of, you know, going through injury, not going through injury. Um, and I just, my just mature maturation as a human being. Um, I just realized that it's not all about me. Like it's not all about like what my goal right now is. It's more about how can I bring value to others and 
sure, my I can reach my goals in bringing value to others, but that's super interesting. So there, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but and I'm not going to quote it exactly, but Gandhi had an idea, and this is where like nonviolent resistance kind of emerges. Is there is basically the idea. So you have, you know, in many contexts, you have the idea of ends and means, right? Mm-hmm. And so he had this idea that the ends are contained within the means. So you can't want to create a better world by using violence mm-hmm. because violence is the end. Like it's, it, it is the thing that you, and, and this is interesting historically is violent revolutionaries tend to become tyrannical leaders, yep. violent leaders, because there's something like violence actually possesses you. Like the, decision the way, the way becomes the character, yep. right? And so what's interesting in what I hear you saying is like, I was, I was making decisions based on outcome rather than process. And I was, I was making them out of something like expediency, like saying, I want to get there. What's Mm -hmm. going to get me there and maybe not loving myself and not loving others and not having, not staying true to my word or, or all the kinds of, let's say sin or violations you might make to yourself and others along the way for the outcome. And then you said, well, actually, no, there's more like something I want to be like, I want to be good, uh, you know, as like an individual. And that, that it just sounds like I hear in that, like the means, something like the means and ends aligned, like the end was embody the values that I'm learning from Jesus or, or be the, be a source of love and goodness in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. And then that, yeah, cool. Now you can be that toward whatever ends or goals you might, you know, to work on your splits or to whatever. Yeah. But don't sacrifice who you are in the process of what you think you could be. Right. Is that sound about right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Yeah. And I, and I guess in that I hear like, and so this is interesting to me as you're working on throwing a certain speed, getting in the splits, building a business, which mm-hmm. I want to get to. I don't want to, I, I totally. want to hear about what you're doing now. Um, but it's, sa- I, I, I don't know if you can speak to this or if you've put it in these words, but like, it sounds like, oh, how do I put this as a, tell me about how you've come to embrace or enjoy process over outcome. Like, is that, I mean, that's what I think mm-hmm. I hear you're yep. saying. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's um that's really good. I think so many people have like these huge aspirations or, or they might think they have huge aspirations when the reality is their aspiration isn't big enough or they have a goal and the reality is their goal isn't big enough. They could actually do more. They could actually You want to give me an example? Uh <laughs> the best example the, that podcast you actually recommended it to me the startup podcast oh yeah um, mm-hmm. where the guy was the second pitch that he was giving to the investor about his podcast and the investor essentially said I love I love the idea but change this 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 and this so he's like yes the podcast thing is cool and networking and all that but why don't you change the outdated way podcasts are currently doing and make it into like a tech kind of thing. Um, and he came basically his 
his comeback to that was like it kind of made him sad because he was just like I spent all this time aspiring to create this like amazing thing and then the amazing thing when I pitched it to the investor was like it was good but there was like so many other layers that I missed and like that made it you know better more and I, I just I found that was like that was really interesting. Um, but the whole the whole thought process of like a larger goal or like somewhere you want to get to or something that seems unattainable, the only way to attain the unattainable is to create a process and to create a program that will help you get like one percent better every day and get from where you are now to where you want to be. Um, and I think that processes can always be like tweaked and refined and it's like but at the end of the day there has to be a process and mm -hmm. you have to fall in love with your process and your uh, program of how you are developing yourself and how you are developing your goals um, because that's when it becomes like second nature that's when it becomes easier to get into I guess people call it like a flow state or yep. something like that where they have ingrained in themselves like a certain set of tasks or things that they do on like a daily basis where they just do it over and over and over and over again. And that repetition over and over and over again, be all of a sudden becomes natural. And then as that becomes natural, then it free, like it frees yourself up time and capacity to yeah. add on to that and increase your process, increase your programming. Um, and until eventually you get to the point where you're at this spot where you want to be and you're like, all right, what's the next thing? Yeah. Right. There's so, so much further that you can go. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, well, the, the thing about like, you're talking about like building in these habits and it, it frees up your capacity to make choices and decisions. So you're like, you're saying it, it, it opens up bandwidth because of programming, like mm -hmm. getting those things into place. And, um, you know, if I could share with you briefly, like the thing that I, when I first encountered that was I was, so even as we're talking and you're talking about that podcast, I'm going, I don't fully remember the outcome of that. Like I, I don't even I, say I'm on episode four, so I don't even know what the, yeah, yeah. The outcome oh, where is. it's going. Well, yeah. cause I, I basically, well, I have a, I have a bad memory Yeah, and I don't exactly know why. I mean, when I was 17, I went through a windshield that might have something to do with it. I all be. through growing up, I took a lot of drugs that could have something to do with it. Maybe a combination of both, or maybe just, uh, expecting memory to work in a way that uh, my lifestyle doesn't, mm. uh, facilitate. But in any case, uh, I had an experience years ago. This is actually what catalyzed all the work that I've done to tighten up. And it really was, so I thought I really did. I was like, I have goals and I have things I'm working on, but like health be damned relationships be damned. I was like, I'm doing something, I'm building something, you know, and I, and I'm not worried about those things. I really wasn't. And people would say, Hey, you should probably take, you should take a day off. You should eat better. I was getting heavier and heavier mm -hmm. and uh, sleeping terrible. And, you know, and so at some point, and I knew I had issues with memory. Like people, Hey, have you seen this movie? They're like, dude, we went to it together. 
And I was like, oh, I, okay, whatever. I don't, and I still do that. I might do that to you. Like, you know, I just asked, I just asked you if you'd met Erica and they're like, yeah, we hung out together. Like, and I was like, right. T- look, just give me some slack here. I, I don't remember anything. That's why it's good to record these things. I can go back and listen. Like, what do we talk about? So yeah. So I, but I had an experience with this older man that volunteered at the well. Um, and well, this man was sick. He had cancer he was very close, part of the family. He and I opened up, shared a lot together. Um, and he, I knew that he was sick and I knew what was going on with him. But then I started hearing around the kind of the grapevine around the well, or the drop-in center we were running, that uh, Richard needs to take time off because he's sick. And other people are saying that, but I'm like, and like he's telling them that, I guess. And I thought, okay, I'm getting irritated because... Like, that's fine if that's what he needs to do. But, like, why wouldn't he talk to me? I don't understand. Hmm. So I called him into my office. I said, hey, man, sit down. I don't want to talk to you. And I and I, I asked him, I was like, why wouldn't you talk to me? And he said, dude, you're the first person I talked to. And we sat here for, like, two hours. And I, it's weird because everything in me was like, you liar. But, like, I know the guy. He's not a liar. He's not lying to me. Something is majorly wrong. And this is the first time, like, alarms went off in my head. I was like, I am absolutely losing my mind. And I refuse. Like, I don't, without my brain, I'm not, I'm done. I'm out. Mm-hmm. I'm not going. Like, that's what, you know. So I, I mean, I freaked out. And I, so I finished the conversation with him or whatever, but, and I, and I was like, okay, so I went to a neurologist. I got my brain scans. I was like, I have brain damage. Y'all got to figure out what's wrong with me, whatever. And I immediately started researching like this. I went into straight up like the, this is the end of the world. And so I, I that's when I started waking up early. Like it was like the next day mm-hmm. I, I was like, I'm getting up 4am. So I have time to study. And I woke up and started drinking coffee and reading everything I could about how the brain works. And I started dieting immediately. And it wasn't long till I learned about the ketogenic diet. Mm-hmm. And I saw brain scans. Uh, actually, yeah, it was people with Alzheimer's, which I was like, I probably don't have Alzheimer's, but who knows? You know, and I, and there's a brain scan of an Alzheimer's patient and there's areas of the brain that aren't like, let's say lighting up, they're not working properly. And then that same patient on a ketogenic diet, the brain is functional in those areas. And it wasn't that they didn't work. It was that they didn't metabolize glucose, which is what your brain is functioning on. And if you eliminate the glucose element and you run on ketones, they lit up. And so that's why like I have, and can, you can get packets of like, let's say hyper MCT oil that's sold as medical food for Alzheimer's patients. It's like you should be ketogenic. You should be flooding your body with MCTs. You, the creation of ketones will make your brain function better. I was on it the next day. I was like, all right, I'm ketogenic. And I started do, I started with a fast and I just started doing that. And I just, everything that I could find out of just sheer panic, um, but one of the things that I came across was, uh, I think it's patient HM, um, patient HM, if I'm saying that right, it's actually, I think it's the dude that the movie Memento was made about okay. and you've, you, you've seen Memento. I don't think I've, I've seen it. Like, you know what it is. I know what it is. Dude, yeah. it's a killer movie. Now in the movie, he's trying to find who killed his wife and this and that. Like, I, I don't think that has anything. They draw, they made a drama 
out totally. of a condition. But the condition uh, was inspired by patient HM, I believe. Patient HM basically could not form new memories. He could not make short-term, like it can't make new short-term memory and therefore it can't move to long-term memory. You can't make new memories. Mm -hmm. And I think it was because of a brain surgery or something. I don't know. So he unfortunately became like a guinea pig and all these scientists started going like prodding him and studying him. And, and so along the way they were in a town wherever and they, they lost him. Like they just lost him and maybe they went to lunch and he went missing. Hell. And it's like, yeah, it's like, Oh, that is, this is our, all of our research is based on this guy. Plus we're responsible for this dude. Like, you know, they, they straight up lost him and it's not a town he's from. So there's no way he's going to find his way home. Like, and he wanders home and they're all scratching their head. Like, how's this possible? Something happened here that we can't explain. So they start dropping in places on purpose. They just drop him and hide. And they like lose him on purpose. They all ditch him. So messed up. And he's spazzing out. Like he's lost. The experience is I'm lost. But he starts making his way home. And they just, they don't know. They're like, what, what can explain this? And so they, they send someone that he knows to interrupt him. Like, hey, go check in with him. And he's like, oh, thank God you're here. I have no idea where I am. Meanwhile, he's making his way home. And so they get some theories together and they start, talking about programming and habits and like maybe there's some other thing going on here that has nothing to do with memory the way we understand memory so they started an experiment where they said okay wake up turn on the coffee pot go to the bathroom like i'm making up the order here go to the bathroom mm -hmm. get in the shower get out of the shower dry off brush your teeth i don't know put on clothes pour your coffee come sit in this chair Next day, and they're coaching him through this. They do the same thing. Next day, same thing. Next day, same thing. And then they stop, and they just watch him. And he gets up, and he does that exact same pattern. And they said, oh, interesting. He, there's another part of your brain that can be programmed that has nothing to do with memory. Like it's being encoded in him. Yeah. And they were able to teach him in this way how to basically live a pretty – functional life. Wow. They created a, a day long ritual. And I just was like, the power of ritual is incredible. And of course, at the same time, I'm studying brain plasticity mm -hmm. and this idea that neurons that fire together, wire together, you can become just about anything. I mean, there's a book called the brain that changes itself. Yeah. Where there, you've read it, mm -hmm. dude, it's incredible. So there's these, good. these, yeah, the stories in there of like the woman that can't stand up straight and they put mm -hmm. that, helmet on her this thing that like gets sends these sensations and they could take it off and she's like figuring out how to walk or people that's like the tongue can start processing sight or sound or whatever the heck those i don't remember the details of all the stories yeah. but the oppression they left is there yeah and i'm like oh I, you could become anything you could do anything and so i started uh what's called like habit stacking where i was like okay take what do i do when i wake up i go to the bathroom cool start there after you go to the bathroom what do you want to do and at the time so i was worried about my brain so i started taking enormous amounts of supplements that i thought could be helpful so i was taking like half a bottle of fish oil Hell. like i was just like hey all the fish oil i'm gonna take all the fish oil i'm gonna take you know and i started stacking them but i was like okay and then after that what and then after that what because i was convinced like I am going to be patient HM mm -hmm. and I don't want someone else programming me. And then I started thinking about who else is programming me. And like, I started thinking about culture and mm -hmm. what's my phone doing to me and what's my, what are my current habits and relationships and what's that doing? And 
that's what led me to start doing this. Sorry, all of this kind of sprung out of you just saying like you can free your mind up by getting some habits, ingraining some habits. Yep. And I just for me, I can't I can't emphasize enough how deep that reality has become for me and and how much at every point that I slack on those things, I, I regret like it, because now I have to get I have to reincorporate will into whatever that thing is, whether it's getting out of bed or eating a certain way. Like like lately, I have not been ketogenic. Uh, I've been, let's say, fairly low carb. Mm-hmm. And then I screw it up completely on a Saturday because, you know, whatever. Sure. And I got comfortable. And I'm like, hey, this morning I was talking to my buddy I go to the gym with. I'm like, I need to get back on that. I mean, my mind will be sharper. My, You know, everything was better. Um, It's the, what, the power of habit, I guess. And it's incredible what yeah. that can do for you. And I guess you've watched that play out over uh, a career of sports and kind of learning that thing. And then, and then even now learning about it, like reading books like that, it's deepening. Um, okay. So now you're coach, you want to, you're coaching mm-hmm. base other young athletes, baseball players. Yeah. Any, so, yeah. so tell me, yeah, tell me about that. Tell me how you are taking your life and your experience and all these things that you've done. Like, and you know, so you said you had, improper mechanics mm-hmm. pitching is that you know that now because of recent learning and lessons and training yeah so i actually got um we running the business we had our the space that we were in it got bulldozed and torn down um, yeah that sucked and yes it did <laughs> um, a little, little bump in the road but in the i guess the meantime i kind of felt like our old space it was more focused on soccer um, yeah, our old space was more focused on soccer, which was great. We had a lot of good connections through that, but like soccer, because I stopped playing in high school, um, isn't the thing that like my larger or like higher level knowledge base is in. So it's like, right. um, I felt this like pull to get back into like baseball and pitching and, um, relearning all that stuff. And so I decided to volunteer at this just inner city high school that, um, is in the area called Chamberlain Mm -hmm. high school. And they, and I realized I was like, all right, I knew how to pitch, but I don't necessarily know if I know how to coach pitching. So I started doing like research in it and I was like looking up like scientific based, like articles on like pitching and movement and I was looking up um just like videos and stuff like that and I came across this guy Brent Porcio who has a facility out in Louisiana and his business is called Top Velocity um and he puts out just he's got a bunch of content if anyone's a baseball player or pitcher you should go follow him just at Top Velocity on either YouTube or Instagram or any of the social media platforms um but he puts out a bunch of content on just basically his journey. Um, he tore his shoulder up when he was in college, um, was told he could he would never be able to throw again, would never be able to play again. And he committed himself to like proving the doctors wrong. Um, and he got up to a point where he was throwing like 94, 95, something like that. And he was playing independent ball. Um, and, essentially start in his business, I guess, started out of that, like where he's like, 
okay, I figured out this process and this program that I can help people utilize to get themselves to like elite levels, regardless of if you're six, five or five, six, you know, okay. um, it's getting you to your highest potential. And you do that through making an elite athlete. So you improve their movement patterns, you improve their overall strength numbers, you improve uh, their mobility, and all of a sudden the person's going to make strides in throwing harder because they're moving better, they're able to put more force into those movement patterns, and that force is actually put into the ball um, versus getting lost, you know where in some, at some point on your kinetic chain or in the kinematic sequence of like your pitching delivery. Um, so I ended up getting certified, like I was absorbing all this content, all this information. I was just like, just geeked out about this, but he, and he offers camps and they're, they're pretty expensive. And I was like, I definitely can't afford the camps. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up just like, I, I was listening to, he did an interview with the guy, Jimmy Morris, who, was the, the the movie the rookie is about him okay. um if you if you haven't seen it it's basically a high school teacher who all of a sudden starts throwing like upper 90s uh -huh. um and goes and plays for the tampa bay rays um but he was having an interview with jimmy morris and i was just like man i'm so su i'm super appreciative of like just like the content this guy's putting out so i emailed him and i was just like just kind of told him about what I was doing with unearth and like how I was trying to reach the community. And he was like, man, that's sounds amazing. Um, I'd love to hear more about what you're doing. I'm actually a believer myself. Um, I'd love to invite you out to come get like certified in my programming. Um, and I was like, what, what? Um, so the, the camp you can't afford the camp I can't afford he basically was like, yeah, I'll waive, I'll, I'll waive the cost. Like you can come out, you can get certified because you sent an email because I sent an email. I love it. And then he, um, and he was also like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll put you up. And so I, I was able to go and like spend a, a whole week there just learning their programming, learning their, the methods, how they like teach kids, how they program kids and then getting all of that programming and being able to like create my own yep. to then give to the people who I'm trying to reach. Um, and so I take that programming, um, that I've created and I try and essentially give kids the ability to give themselves the best potential to get to their best they're the next level. Cause it's like not, not every kid can go and afford to, you know, spend $3,000 to go to like a camp or to yeah, no. pay most camp, most camp. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, or, or to e even like to do like lessons for like, you know, the rest of their life or something like that. Yeah. So in like the lessons that I give kids, I try and like give them and teach them as much in like just doing research learning the correct movements and then being able to reinforce those movements in themselves. Like if I'm like feeling like sore, feeling tight, like why am I feeling sore and tight and how do I fix that? If I'm like inflexible here, why am I inflexible? How do I fix that? If I'm not moving well, like why am I not moving well? How do I fix that? Um, and being able to like, I guess break down problems in their own athletic development and, solve it themselves. 
um, because at the end of the day, it's like, it's their arm, it's their career, it's their, yeah. um, so they have to take responsibility for their own thing. And I'm just trying to provide them the tools to do that. Uh, Dude, that's beautiful. Well, and it sounds like really you're saying, I'm going to coach you in thinking a little yeah. bit, right? Yeah. Like how to think about and, and be a problem solver that can investigate what's going on, kind of figure this out, find the tools you need. Okay. So you go and you get certified. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is, that's a big deal. And you come back and so now you're like, okay, so your place was bulldozed Yep. and you got a certificate. Yep. Okay. You get back in town. Now what? So for a while, for the longest, so we are on a very limited budget. Um, and I was trying to find like a new space or a space that I could rent out a space that, cause our previous agreement was we didn't actually have to pay anything. It was just the rental agreement was a 30% revenue share. And then as we were building out the space, we found out it was going to get bulldozed. So we were like, well, you're kind of screwing over any like business aspect here. Can we just do it for free? And they said, that's fine, whatever. So we were able to do that old space that got bulldozed for free. People aren't exactly keen on that model. Um, as far as I guess, real estate, real, yeah, free, sure. real yeah, estate, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, understandably, yeah. understandably. Um, but I was like, all right, I don't really have money because we hadn't been running. We were running more of like a ministry rather than a, a sports club, a business. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and we didn't really have money. Um, so we were like, and real estate in Tampa was like really expensive. It's expensive. It is yeah. still expensive. Yeah. Um, like I couldn't even afford like a warehouse, let alone a space big enough for like the soccer field that we wanted to get. And, um, the mall kind of kept saying like, Oh, we'll have a space or, Oh, we can think of a space, um, here and there, but there were nothing ever actually formulated from that. So I pretty much spent the majority of my time either trying to find a new space, building out programming or volunteering at Chamberlain. Mm -hmm. So I was able to spend like a lot of time with those guys, like just, going to practices, really? going to games, yep. doing all that stuff that I really wouldn't have been able to do if, um, you had to be at a space all the time. Yeah. Yep. And so that, that was really good. Was able to develop some cool relationships with just like some of the kids there, the coaches. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been like, it's been fruitful, um, relationally. Yep. Um, and, eventually we finally settled on getting a spot. I guess I bugged the, the mall owners enough, um, to where we finally got into a spot that was like closing down and they needed, they wanted a new person to move in relatively immediately. So we got a, a agreement that was, um, doable. Yeah. (laughs) And we're trying to figure it out and make it work. So or yeah, for two those, months in <laughs> for those that are listening, I mean, it's being applied in what you're saying, but both well-built bikes, the bike shop we run and under sports complex are in a old mall that is, mm-hmm. uh, in the university area of Tampa near USF mm-hmm. and in what has been historically known as suitcase city, mm-hmm. um, kind of a poorer area. Um, and of course malls are kind of dying off right so amazon has taken over and malls are so 
that presented opportunities. Like the, the reason I'm there is like the mall was not the place to go. It was just like, oh, they've got 50% empty spots and that puts them in a place where they're willing to negotiate. Yep. And so I think both of us took advantage of that. You negotiated yep. a space originally that was huge. It was the old, old Navy, right? Yep. And you were in a part of the mall that was completely closed down. Correct. And therefore it was going to get bulldozed because part of the, this whole story is uh, there's a company um, that has bought all of the land in the mall and is got a, they're doing a billion dollar investment in the property. And there's, I mean, it's going to be a huge development over the next however many years, sure. 10 stories up all this. It's pretty exciting what's happening. And then those of us that are in the mall are like, man, I hope we can come out on the other side of this. We'll totally. see what happens. I'm sure rent will go up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we make the best of it while we're here. So you put yourself in a, you had a situation where, man, free rent or profit sharing, that was even a great negotiated deal. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it was part of what comes with sweet deals is a little bit of insecurity around stability, right? And so yep. you go, okay, they're going to tear this down as part of the, the first step in the development process. And then they were wishy-washy about getting you a new space because maybe someone else wants it, this and that. And you're not exactly like throwing a lot of money their way. Yep. But you're doing something good in the community and that's good and they want you there. And so then you now you get in the space that so I know where you're at, but I wanted to kind of paint the picture a little bit for yep. those listening that aren't familiar with where we're at, uh, which is cool having you, you know, uh, uh, what a two minute walk through the mall, yeah. to get, you know, between the bike shop and the gym. Um, so tell me about that. You found the space. How many square feet is it? What, mm -hmm. you know, what was it? What did you have to do to get it ready? I mean. It wasn't a gym. No. Yeah. It, so tell me about uh, that. Yeah. The, so the space is 3,600 square feet. Um, it used to be a Kim's dollar and more. It was a convenience store kind of dollar store mm -hmm. setup. Um, and it's funny, John, actually, you actually know the guy who used to run that store. Yeah. The mall um, loved that too. When you were trying to get it yep. and I introduced the two of you, the <laughs> long story short, the mall was not letting me into the space because I wanted to like measure stuff to see what would fit, what wouldn't fit. And John was like, he randomly calls me one day and is just like, Hey, what are you doing? Or you, 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 I think you were saying you, I could potentially use some of the stuff that he was getting rid of. Yeah. There's some shelving and yep. I was taking some and I was like, Hey dude, this guy's store is closing. You want some shelves? And I guess I let, I kind of let it slip that I was like, yeah, we're, we're supposed to be moving into a new space in the mall, but we just don't know. And he was like, Oh, which space? And I was like, it's like a Kim's dollar. He was like, I'm in that space. I was standing right in now. it when I called you. It was so weird. <laughs> I was like, get over here. You can come walk it right now. So we mall I, management love that mall sure. management. They the day because basically what ended up happening was Jew, the guy who owns the space. He called the mall and was like, hey, I'm going to leave some of the stuff in the space. The next tenant is going to keep it. He wants it. He wants it. And the mall was like, why does the old tenant know the new tenant? And why are they talking <laughs> together? Like just they were like freaking out so i immediately get a call from the office and they're yeah that's awesome um but so the the space is it's uh 3600 it's basically skinny and long um about 29 feet across and probably 93 feet deep on like the main area and then in the back there's like a little water fountain a bathroom um a walk-in area with like the breaker boxes and stuff like that and then a bigger room um by bigger it's like a couple hundred square feet yeah if that um and 
what the build out was essentially me and any friends or volunteers I could get to help me um, trying to move the equipment that we had um, into the new space and piece it together, um, which uh, there was a couple like you actually gave me the idea to like lay it out on like a grid paper. And so we had a general idea of where we were going to lay stuff. It was just a matter of doing it mm-hmm. and moving these heavy pieces. Everything of you have equipment. is heavy. That's part Everything of Everything is weights. heavy. <laughs> so it's, it's not exactly something that you want to like set up, then tear apart and set up somewhere else. Yeah. It's like you said, well, you want to set it up and it, it stay there. <laughs> um, so we started moving all this heavy equipment in, kind of got it all there, figured out how to lay it out. Well, cut it to shape, cut it to, fit um and then just use this space functionally or have it fit and it actually ends up it's working better now than it was in our old space because our old space was massive and we didn't actually have the space we didn't have the equipment to fill it you didn't even have to do a floor plan no it was like like, we could put this here we could put this here it's like you could literally put it anywhere yeah it was the old old navy it was something like twelve thousand square feet and we've got stuff that could fill maybe 4,000 square feet. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. Um, so that, yeah, that was, it was probably, I'd say maybe a month to about a month, month and a half at most of like the build out before I had like our soft opening. Yep. Um, and then I've kind of been just trying to get it back up and going ever since. How long has um, it been open now? About two months. Two months. Yeah, coming well, coming up on two months. End of, end of July will be two months. So, uh, what have you been doing? What's what's happening there? Like, if people are local yep. and want to get involved, or what's what's going on? Yep. So we offer group fitness classes, um, and we offer those around people's work schedules. So we tend to have them in the morning or later in the afternoon. So, like six a.m., six p.m. time frames are pretty big. Um, and then as we, as more people start coming, we like offer more classes. Um, so we just started offering like a 7 PM class, um, that another guy who's kind of helping me out is going to be teaching people. Yep. Um, and in, but so the group fitness classes are what is, I guess your quote unquote membership, um, that people can come out to and just get to their fitness goals, move better, just yep, become stronger. Um, Real quick, then, so let's just say, I'm sorry, I won't cut you off, but like, I want to do that. What do I pay for a class? So is we, there a membership fee? Yep, yep. We always let, so first class is always free. And then based on um, like how the person's feeling, if they're still skeptical, like we're open to like letting you come and work out and try, maybe it was just the workout you didn't like and you just want to, like try different things. Come we're back open. when it's not leg day or whatever. Totally, yeah. totally. Um, we're open to letting your first couple classes kind of be free to get a feel for like the gym, the teachers, if it's something that you would be interested in. Um, and then what we do is it's, we basically offer um, a tiered pricing model right now um, that we're going to be like adding to. But the tiered pricing is one workout a week is 20 bucks a month. Two workouts a week is 35 and then unlimited where you can come to all of them is 50 bucks a month. Um, where majority of CrossFit gyms, if you want to do unlimited workouts, it's like 150 to oh, yeah. 200 bucks. Right. Um, 
and we're going to be trying to, I'm continuing to build it out, but we're going to be offering, um, like different packages with that, where you could get like a good, a, a good quality, like protein that you get after every workout, um, or like Kava, which is, uh, just a natural root drink. That's like a muscle relaxer. Um, that's all awesome. else that we're going to share that with me the other day. It offering. was awesome. Yeah. The, the guy, the guy who started that, a, he's actually local too. He has a shop called Modernesian Kava on Florida Avenue. Um, so if you ever want to check out the, the, if you ever want to check it out, you can either come to our space or you can go to his face. Like, Did I hear you say that you're going to, I don't know if this is something you want to broadcast, but do you want to invite people to, uh, did you say you were going to have a meetup there? Yes. Uh, we're actually, that's going to be happening here in the next, probably next, next Wednesday. Um, where Matt reached out and he wants to start doing like a Kava and Bible study kind of thing okay. on Wednesday nights. Um, we're still iffy on the time. I believe it's going to be Wednesday nights at 8.30 p.m. at his shop, Modernesian Kava. Um, and basically we're just going to get together, drink Kava, go through like a Bible passage and just talk about it. Like kind of try and go into like a scripture with like an open mind yep. and just with a qu more questioning mentality, not going into it thinking I know all the answers or thinking that we have any answers for anyone specifically, sure. but just trying to see and reflect on some of the deeper truths that can be found within scripture just and let attempting it to yeah. understand it. Yeah. I love it. Uh, okay. So man, such a journey you've been on. Um, has this, let's say since, well, okay. You mentioned that you were in finance for a while. Mm -hmm. Did you quit that to do this? Funny story. Um, <laughs> the, I didn't, I didn't actually quit. I got fired. Okay. Um, so I was working at Morgan Stan Morgan Stanley was my first job job out of my MBA program. The first thing I did on my MBA program was I set up um, or helped set up a microloan program out in Haiti with a, a nonprofit that's part of the underground network called IED Underground. Yep. Um, but after I came back from that, um, I started working with Morgan Stanley, which is a big time yeah. um, just financial firm, like trading, investing, all that sorts of stuff. What were you doing there? answering phones. Nice, um, nice. It, okay, it was, yep. Essentially, I was a client service associate. So and in that process, I um, was answering people, answering the phones, helping people with their accounts, helping people set up new accounts, um, talking to people through like why their retirement account was down 50%, like Ooh, you know, yeah, stuff like that. It's no fun. Normally, that was more just like, let me get you to your financial advisor sure. and like kind of push it off. But as you work at Morgan Stanley, you're required to pass the Series 7 licensing exam and the Series 66 licensing exam. And you have 90 days to path, pass both of those exams or else you get let go. Um, so I passed the Series 7 licensing exam because it's very like um, it's more like numbers um, and like the logistics of like trading itself. And I've done a lot of trading in my life. So I kind of understood that um, yep. through like day trading, options trading, stuff like that. Um, so the Series 7 I passed. The Series 66 is more like the rules, regulations, like the memorization stuff. Um, what type of like risk levels, like certain yeah. things like that, um, that 
just for some, wasn't cl- one. I didn't agree with a lot of the stuff that they were preaching mm-hmm. in within like that licensing exam. Um, but two, it was just something that like I'm not like the greatest at in any sense of the term. Is like any any time it's like memorization, it's just tough for me. Like yeah. Um, like anatomy and physiology, hard class for me because it was just, it's literally just memorizing. And mm-hmm. it's like you memorize X, Y, and Z and you just got to do it. Um, and so I ended up actually missing. So I, you have to get a 72 on the exam. I got a 71. Um, oh, dude. And I, I, it was like the, the last te- time I took the test, it was like the day that I was my, basically my 90th You waited day. till like the final is the yeah, 11th like hour. My, my 90th day. Um, had you taken it before? I had this... taken it once before. So okay. like basically how it worked out was with the series seven. Um, I, I, t- I took that one twice. Um, I passed it on the second attempt and then the series 66, I basically had about four, I think it was like 40, 45 days or something like that. Um, to take that exam and you have to wait 30 days in in between exams. So it's not like you can take it, fail it and then take it the next day. Um, so I basically was like, I took the series 66 with like no time to study, tried to cram over like a week, took it, failed it. Um, and then went about like the next test where I was just like day in, day out. I was just like studying through this like material. Yeah. I was, kicking my ass like i was showing because working work, harder I than work everyone from, else i worked from nine to five thirty or whatever and i was showing up at the office at like 5 a.m to like just study Love it. um and the yeah, and it was it sucked like yeah and i said basically i got let go and brian who's the head of the underground um he's the one who started it but he he had approached me in october um, I failed, I got let go from Morgan Stanley in December. So he had approached me in October about starting the sports complex. So we had I'm already busy studying, dude. I was, I was busy studying <laughs> for sure. I got time for that. And so we had already kind of had that like thought process or like relative plan in motion. Seed had been planted. Um, and- we were just trying to figure it out. Um, and the day that I failed this, the exam, I basically, I called one of my buddies, Joe's Barletier, and I was just like super down. Like I felt like a failure, felt like just, I wasn't like good enough. Couldn't do it. Yep. Um, and Joe's just, it's like, he was like, dude, I think you just need to kind of get away. Like go spend some time with, like go spend some, spend some time with God, kind of get away from like your normal scenery. Um, and so for me, what that has always meant was, I don't think Joe's was telling me to do this, but like for me, anytime I need to get away, I go to the mountains. Um, that's just, I feel like a deeper connection just to God and nature in sure. general. And so I just started driving north without any real intention of making it all the way north. But I just start, I just started driving because I... I I had the clothes that I was in, basically like some sweats, a shirt, a backpack, and a thing of water. Um, and started driving north. My buddy who runs a gym up in Birmingham, um, similar concept. They're yep. called A41. He calls me and we, because he found out that I had like failed. Uh, the exam was just calling me to like see how I was doing. 
and he was like, "You should come up to you should come up to Birmingham, check it, like just check it out." And so I ended up just driving up to like I didn't have like a toothbrush, didn't have anything, didn't have change of clothes, didn't have whatever. And he was like, "We'll cover it." We, we yeah, got it's you. a good community to um, just drop in on. And so I basically drove up there, spent the weekend um, with them, and just felt like God was calling me to like figure out the sports complex. And so I kind of just, I had a little bit of savings cause I was making a good amount of money at Morgan Stanley. Um, and I was in the process of getting to where I was going to propose to my now wife. Yep. Um, and so I kind of, I talked it over with her and was just like, let's try and figure this thing out. And so it just started from there. All right. So I asked you this originally to ask you a specific question which you just set up very well. And I want to like, I'm going to see if I can remember that question. Cause I want to ask you another one. Dig in on, this is one example. You probably have others in your life, but just that moment you, you failed the test. You mm-hmm. feel like a failure. The, I, I just think this is a experience of everybody that tries things, right? Whether it's athletics, business relationship, like you asked, you shoot beyond what you're capable of or whatever you, and you come up short, mm-hmm. you fail. Um, so we kind of like got to resolution a little quick and, and that sounds like a real grace that you were able to go to a community that could walk with you through that experience and what better place you could go than, you know, these are mutual friends we have in Birmingham that I'm like, yeah, perfect. That just it's beautiful. However, back to that, initial hour and you can use other experiences, but just talk to me about the emotional downside and the experience of that moment of failure, like in, and, and, and so, you know, this podcast in general, I want to talk through like work, but you work at something and it doesn't work. Hmm. And then you, you find yourself in that place. Just, I don't know, just muse on that for a second. Yeah, the, uh, hmm, I think failure is such a good reality check Hmm. and a good teaching tool and a good way for people just to like learn, um, about themselves and, um, do they actually like, do they want it? Um, Mm. and with Morgan Stanley, the thing that I realized was I didn't actually want to work at Morgan Stanley, but getting paid what they were paying me was a really great benefit. I want the paycheck, (laughs) but I don't want to do what I'm doing. Mm. Um, and I think that stripping away that security or that um because i could have easily just gone and applied for another job at a financial firm and most likely gotten one um pretty quickly but i think that it was something that made me realize this isn't something that i actually want yeah and why am i not pursuing something that i actually want And pursue that with the 
like just all out like intent and yeah. like where if I fail at the thing that I actually want, I have a drive to keep going and yeah. to keep doing it because there's something in me that actually inherently wants to get to that next step or that next level and is okay with failing um, in that because it's getting you to the next step. Um, wow. And I think there's so much in that event in my life that made me realize and maybe divorce some of the concepts of like being married to like money and security and job and health insurance and all, all this different stuff that is, it's not bad. Yeah. No, it's nice to have it's all that. It's nice to have all <laughs> yeah, of that. It's good. But it's something that, it's not fundamentally like necessary. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the, man, this is, this is perfect. So the marriage of, so one of the things that I messed up in the beginning of this conversation, I think is, um, I, I started telling you about my conversation with John and which led me to basically hand you, the question of your thoughts about work, mm. but I had already primed it with John talked about sports, mm -hmm. but he first talked about his first job and, and so far I've only talked to a couple people, but they talk about their first job because we think of work as that thing that we do that gets a paycheck. And part of what this entire enterprise is for me is to help divorce those partly because I don't think jobs are going to be around very long. Like mm. many, many, many people, you know, with jobs won't have jobs. Uh, who knows how we're going to navigate that terrain, but drivers that's, it's a wrap. Yep. Cashiers. It's a wrap. And yep. how many other things that people are doing, uh, maybe even including answer the, answering those phones, being secretary. It's, it's incredible yep. what we're coming up on. And I just think, I really do believe you're made to work. And if you're not working, you're going to die. Like if you're not eating and, but what I mean by that isn't necessarily being employed. Like there's, I know a lot of unemployed people that work their ass off. They're just yep. not employed in gainful employment or, or whatever. Maybe they hustle on the side, but we've, we've married the economics with the job. And so in your own telling of that story, you started saying, I, I, it's cool that we circled back to this and you're those things began to divorce from one another. Um, and you're like, yeah, I want the paycheck. I want the security. I want, you know, health coverage that that's fantastic. Uh, and yet I also realize it isn't, I'm not doing what I want to do. And so many people that I talk to go, I hate what I do, hmm. but I'm here cause I need the paycheck. So I it's work is something we do so we can go live rather than recognizing it's something we live that so we can do. Yeah. And, and I guess like, so this brings me back to the initial reason I asked you about, did you quit or it turns out you got fired or you, you ended up ending that career and entering into this enterprise is the question I was going to say is it, it looks like you sacrificed a lot. Like you were making good money and you had a sense of security. Now, whether that was, you know, okay, I failed a test. I didn't, you know, you're, oh, I could have got that job somewhere else. Like yeah. you didn't need to make the choice you made and you've been building something new, which I imagine, and you can like flesh this out as much as you're comfortable with, but I imagine it's costing you. You've invested, I've watched you invest tremendous time and energy 
I imagine you've invested personal yep. capital. You're living off of savings, right? And so I go, man, I see sacrifice and I just want to, one, honor it, but then also ask you about it. Tell me about, like, there's a bit of sacrifice in this. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> um, I mean, right, right off the bat, like, one of the immediate sacrifices is obviously financially. Um, I went from making four to 5,000 bucks a month to not really being guaranteed to make anything. Four um, or 5,000 a year, maybe if yep, you're lucky. If, if that, yeah. yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I went from being able to provide my now wife with, yeah. And you got married in the middle of that. Yeah. Brave woman, brave woman. She is, she's something else. Um, but she kept her job. Yes. Good. That's good. Job. That's good. Um, she, she enjoys what, yeah, she enjoys what she does and like finds a lot of value in what she does. She doesn't always enjoy the, I guess, companies that she may be promoting, but the underlying reasoning of what she does is she likes and is fun with. Um, but yeah, even trying to figure stuff out, like, I mean, I'm a type one diabetic, so it's like healthcare, insulin, stupid expensive. Um, yeah. What are you doing? I, so the underground, um, has this thing. They've got a health clinic, the clinic, the free clinic. Um, wow. And they provide, healthcare and medical needs to people who don't make a certain amount of money and don't have health insurance. and don't have yeah, health insurance. Have, yeah. Correct. Um, so I've, the, the clinic has essentially like saved my life, um, on multiple times just because being able to provide me with something that is absurdly and really un unjustly expensive. Yeah. Um, in ways that I could have never done. Um, and it's really, it's, it's really just like, I just need insulin to survive. So that's, that's th it. this is fascinating. And, and I, I don't, I just, you know, I asked that question, not thinking about this specific detail, but I'm like, Oh, this was a financial burden. I watched you just, I'm, I watch your Instagram and go, mm -hmm. this dude's busting his ass. I watch you rolling that AstroTurf by yourself or yeah. whatever. And I'm, is that what it's called? Yeah. Yep. And I was just like, this is insane. You like, and, and I know how much work you put in uh, seemingly around the clock, but like that all aside, your life is on the line. Mm -hmm. Like your, your actual medical condition, it's not going away. Yep. Right. There's no, there's no, there's no current cure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's dietary, right. You know, the, so the type one, type one, type, type two, two. type right, two, right, you right. can fix with diet exercise, mitigate, um, right. Mitig or fix. You can fix, you can, okay. you can reverse type two diabetes. Um, type one, you, it's irreversible. That's, and so you need insulin. You, have, you actually have a constant meter on, Correct. right? Yeah. Correct. And that, I imagine that's not free. Nope. And you have to refill it. Yep. And luckily you found yourself in a community of people that, ha so you have access to a nonprofit charitable initiative that can provide that for you. Yep. But like, that's it. And if something happens there, 
you've got you've got to I, I I just wanted to like punctuate that because I'm like yeah that just like really hit me that like it's way more than it's like oh yeah the well-being of my new marriage mm-hmm. my livelihood um, my situation in life my but my condition is such that it is it could be my being itself that is on the line yeah so that's incredible uh, I can't, I can't overstate how much I love and admire that. Uh, now talk to me about why you think that's a good idea. Hmm. <laughs> good idea. Uh, I, I believe that there is a massive potential in what I'm doing, um, to not only help people, but also to create something that is really good, like fiscally, monetarily, those are the same things, um, <laughs> like health wise, um, that could provide those things. It's just a matter of piecing this stuff together and getting partnered with the right people, um, to help me to like expand and like, increase the access that of like the services that I'm giving. Um, and I think that there is a really big potential in developing myself and then developing like kids to help them reach their goals and help them get to where they want to get to. Um, that could that could really do a lot in the baseball community, uh, like just around the, really around the world. Um, because the stuff that we're teaching, um, like through like the top velocity, um, programming is not something that's conventionally taught in baseball. Um, and it, because it's, it's hard to teach it. It's like moving efficiently and moving and functioning better. And you, taking the ground reaction forces up your kinetic chain and into the ball. It's like, it's hard to explain that. And it's also hard to teach a kid that. Mm -hmm. Um, so traditionally what has been done is they just tell a kid to throw a ball and, Oh, this kid happens to throw a ball hard. So let's put a weighted ball in his hand and he uses his same mechanics with the weighted ball. And then all of a sudden he's able to throw the lighter ball faster. Sure. Um, the issue with that is you put unnecessary stresses and like torques on your elbow and shoulder when you don't have, you're not moving efficiently. Yep. Um, that could potentially down the line hurt you and cause injury, cause a lot of different crap, which is super common, which is very common like in when, baseball. When John was in here talking about throwing, he's like, he was talking about, I drill and I drill and I drill yep. and I drill. And he's like, but the problem is throwing not drill. Yeah. If you drill, incorrectly yep you just get deeper entrenched in injury like potential blowout correct yeah yeah you first have to move well then move often but the issue in baseball is you just move right to move often before you ever get to move well that's that's good that's you're quoting something or you recite that often that seems like a nugget of real yeah yeah that's like part of the program Mm -hmm. uh 
it seems it's interesting to think about that reality with what you were saying before about being young and having to work harder than anyone else. Mm -hmm. Um, because there's a, it's an interesting, okay. I'll tell you what I did. I, my mom was a weight trainer. Uh, she was an instructor. So Mm -hmm. she was, what do you call that? She was a personal trainer, personal trainer. And she taught, uh, aerobics that was actually her main thing and then she did personal training after her classes at gold's gym yeah i grew up in the nursery at gold's gym uh which i think is part of why i still really love gyms and i just they're, i'm at home in a gym it's a great spot or whatever but i in my teenage years i started lifting weights mm-hmm. and i pulled out all mom's books and mom was always around to kind of go hey do this do that whatever but then you know you kind of blow mom off don't worry about me. I know what I'm doing. You can just leave me alone. I'm in the garage working out. <laughs> and over a good amount of time, I got very strong curling. Like curls. I could, I just did curls. Curls for the girls. I just did curls. That was it. It was like, I had nothing else. I never did legs ever. You know, I just did <laughs> curls, right? I just want to be able to flex and show a big muscle. Um, but I did not extend to a full stretch mm. every time I did curls heavy, heavy curls. And then one day my mom saw me reaching for, let's say cereal or something on the top shelf. And she's like, John, why are you standing like that? So basically, cause I, cause people can't see me. I, I was, I couldn't straighten my arm and I, my wrist had to like bend a certain way. And I was mm. like, my whole body was contorting cause my arm couldn't reach any higher. <laughs> and she hadn't noticed. It was like all of a sudden and it was bad. I mean, it was like a, a a serious like stopping point that yep. was way short of a straight arm. And still it is not as straight as my other arm. And mm-hmm. I still like try to stretch. It's like, it's, it's so locked. And I ended up getting put in physical therapy and they just hung weight on it over a preacher bench and just yep. excruciating pain. Just, just hold this thing forever and just cry, breathe, you yeah, know, whatever. Just yeah. Just breathe. Um, but it was interesting because you can work hard and be dumb yep. and ruin yourself. So, cause it, it's like interesting. You're like, yeah, dad taught me that. And I had that. And as an ethos, I'm like, yeah, it's good and admirable. And yet if you work hard doing a stupid thing, mm-hmm. you kill yourself. Yep. Uh, seems like a good life lesson. Um, and so you're now, you're saying, okay, I'm trying to teach people the right way to work and teach them this kind of ethic of hard working, hard drilling often. Do you have a lot of, uh, access right now? Do you like how many students are you working with? Um, so we're, yeah, still trying to figure out marketing. Um, yeah, yeah. Getting to reach more people. Um, because I mean, it really is just me. Um, and like my wife, but she's got a full-time job. And then, um, there's another trainer who helps me, but he's got other stuff that he's doing. So it's like, he comes in and does a group workout here and there. Right. Yep. Yep. And so it really is just me. And I was like, there's only, there's only so much time in the day. Um, so right now I'm probably working with maybe 10 kids, um, consistently. And a lot of those kids are from a little bit further out. So like they got connected to me through Instagram or they sure. found out about me through top velocity. Cause we did, we did a podcast like this and a couple of videos. Um, 
and yeah, so like there's there's kids who are coming in from like Orlando. I had a kid come in train with me from like Switzerland. Um, really, he was coming to take like some IB testing. He's like a really smart kid. He actually pitches with both arms. He's a righty wow. and a lefty. Um, but he's come and trained with me, but like, I mean, he lives in Switzerland, so that's like, you know, not a consistent client. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, there's kids who like live out in Fort Myers. Um, a couple who live in like Lakeland. Wow. Um, so uh, pretty, pretty decent drives to come out and like train with me. Um, now you just gotta get the neighbors to realize you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And that's um, been a hell of a challenge cause you're in the gym. It has. Yeah. Um, so man, this is also so rich, man, but I, I, I want to come back to this place of, so you're, you've sacrificed, you've laid everything on the line. You're giving everything you have to build this gym. You have a bunch of things you have to figure out how to make this a business. I mean, I know that you have a plan in place, but sure. working that plan, it's going to continue to adjust and adapt. And, mm-hmm. um, what, yeah. What are your, I don't know. What are your next steps? What are your current goals, challenges? Um, like what is it you're aiming at that makes you able to work as hard as you do and do without as much as you do without? Like why? Hmm. I think part of the reasoning why I work as hard as I do is because I know like based on other people's um, based on other people's uh, what testimonials uh, mm-hmm. that and based on like the science that like all this stuff a hundred percent is like good for you and works and is great. Um, but I also want to get myself to a point where, so I could throw 94 when I had bad mechanics. Um, and I mean, granted I was like crazy strong, really in shape, like D one athlete. Um, but I want to get back to a point where I can throw that hard or harder. Where are you throwing Um, now? The hardest I've thrown in the last couple months is like 87. Yeah. Um, which is a significant improvement from where I was at. It doesn't suck previously. Yeah. Um, it, I was, I think I was probably sitting when I went to like the top velocity camp, I was probably like low eighties, maybe like, which also doesn't suck, but it's like, I, I was maybe like 80, 80 to 81, something like that. Um, and I want to get to a point where I can like, throw hard where I'm not only, I'm not only proving it to myself, but, um, I also want to show like the kids who I'm like working with and kids who I'm training that like, yeah, I mean with a little bit of effort and with like the right focus, like you can get to where you want to get to. Um, and whatever like formulates from that, that's, that's a different story. But I think that in that, um, that's really one of the main things why I'm, pushing as hard as I am pushing. I love it, man. And I, and I see that in you trying to do the splits and Mm -hmm. trying to do, it's like, you're, you're becoming the, like I I'm watching you use your body and your life to flesh out a thesis 
to then present to the world or to others like look mm-hmm. look what can be done and I, I admire that and I look up to that uh, I want to ask you um, maybe what could be a final question if depending on where you're at with time um, and and then I'll, I'll I want to give you a chance to just if you wanted to plug anything or invite people to anything um, what is success hmm Success to me is being able to love people in many different contexts and enjoy doing it. Not necessarily enjoy all of it, but at some like guttural instinctual level have purpose behind what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, and being able to being able to do that or do something like that, um, is what I believe anyone's definition of success, I guess, could boil down to, um, maybe, maybe that's a too broad of a stroke. Um, maybe I shouldn't say anyone's definition, but really at the end of the day, I think that the people who are most successful, um, would say that they're probably successful because at some level they enjoy, um, doing what they want to do and they're trying to bring value to people around them. I love it. Is there anything that you want to say or promote or point people toward? Yeah. Um, I mean, shoot, if anyone's in the Tampa area and wants to come work on their fitness goals or their pitching goals, or they've got like a kid who just wants to come and work on his mechanics or something like that. Um, you could always follow us at unearth sports on Instagram. Um, you could go to our, our website, Tampa underground.com slash unearthed. Um, what if someone's listening to this and just thinks, man, I'm inspired. This dude has taken a huge risk to give himself to this thing and I'm on board and I want to quit my job and come help build a gym are you open to that wow (laughs) i'd love to meet that person yeah yeah Um, yeah. well why not ask i yeah (laughs) if if someone wants to if god has been calling you yeah uh our 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 budget endlessly for no money totally then you're welcome here Uh, be be ready for what you're getting yourself into but um yeah i'd say like talk to the people who you're in community with around you pray about it and at the end of the day, at some at some level, you just got to go and do it. Yeah. Um, you just got to jump in. Yeah. So. Dude, thank you for taking some time thank to spend you. with me. I know you got a lot going on. I, uh, of course, I don't imagine it sucks to just sit in a chair for an hour or two. Yeah, it's a, you got to, you got to, uh, it's, it's a deal so of the week for me right now. Back, so. to the, back to the gym now. <laughs> yep. Ba- yeah. Back to the gym. 
gonna grab one of the so me and my wife we recently started meal prepping um and just creating a habit of that like yep. on sundays just because it's hard to cook when you're at the gym it's impossible all the time yeah virtually impossible that's had a lot um, to do with my failure to maintain my diet is a failure to prep and think ahead yep so what my wife and i have started was essentially we We'll go to Sanwa, which is a big farmer's market, um, yep. get a bunch of groceries, like bulk groceries, so it's cheaper, um, and then just cook a couple different meals for like throughout the week. And I've been also trying to gain weight. That's one of the things that is going to be helpful for um, pitchers. Well, uh, let me contextualize that, gain the right kind of weight. Yeah. Um because I mean, force equals mass times acceleration. So the heavier you are and the faster you can move, the harder you're going to throw. Yep. Um, so yeah, the, what was I, where was I going with this? I, what do you, yeah. I already said, are you going back to the gym? Going back to the you gym. Said right, right, right. Meal, I got, I got, I got, I got, I guess the, yeah. the t- with all that, the, <laughs> um, I have to go get lunch and that sounds and eat. One of the, one of the meal prep, one of the, one of the meals that we prepped and then I'll head back up to the gym. What'd you prep? Um, my wife made this thing called Sapa Sui. Then we also have, um, uh, it's a couple chicken breasts. Uh, it's basically chicken breasts, rice, kale, and like a sausage. Or there's another one that's like, uh, a shrimp kind of fettuccine Alfredo with like, uh, basil, kale, and a couple other things. Um, basically just some, you're very even on like your protein, your macro nutrients. So like your protein carbs and, um, fats are evenly spaced out. You know, I said I had, that was the last question, but now (laughs) I, I want to ask you a question that I realize you're probably the right person to ask for something that I think uh, I want to kind of echo throughout many of these conversations. Um, so in training physically, uh, how important is rest? Oh, it's, it's detrimental if you don't have it. Okay. Tell me why. Because your body needs time to recover and it needs the nutrition. Like, so like eating well, and rest and drinking enough water are like three of the main reasons why people won't get to their like fitness goals is because, um, they might, they'll work at their work, they'll work their ass off, but then they go and like screw it over by like getting drunk on Saturday night or whatever. Um, and it just trashes any benefits they could have like gotten to or any neural like levels they could break into because they're breaking down all that stuff. So it's like rest is something that's fundamental and getting proper like REM sleep, um, to your buddy, your body actually like recovering and then coming back stronger. Um, I love that you just misspoke and called your body, your buddy. And yeah. I just thought that actually <laughs> might work, man. It's just like, you got to look out for your buddy. <laughs> got to, got to look yeah, out for if your you buddy. You treated your body like it was a buddy. Yeah. You might not treat it like it was your body anymore. <laughs> like yes, just take care good. of your buddy. That's good. So, um, that's interesting to me. And as you're launching a endeavor that takes what seemingly is around the clock work, uh, how are you resting? 
by making it like programming it into your into my day. So it's it's something where like so when we have six a.m. classes, I know I wake up at four thirty. Yep. Um, and I know I have to get to bed if I want to get one REM cycle. The latest I can possibly fall asleep is twelve thirty. Um, granted, I want to get that's two, too late. Two yeah. REM cycles. Sure. That is too late. Um, so right now, and sleep is something that I need to improve on. So right now, I'm I'd say I'm averaging um, maybe seven hours of sleep or so. Um, I I want to be able to get to where I'm like up to eight, yep. but um, and I I do get to eight, and sometimes nine on. Um, Saturday certain like you know your Saturdays <laughs> yeah, yeah, or yeah. like my Tuesday Thursday I don't have like a super early morning class yep. um, so I'm able to get a little bit more sleep on those days but um, yeah it's no knowing when you have to wake up and falling asleep accordingly like well I think it's been clear throughout this conversation that you know you that you're a Christian and many Christians embrace an idea like Sabbath mm. do you have some sort of weekly pause and reflection the best kind of the the best example i would have of that is sundays is when my wife and i meal prep so that's awesome um, yeah i we kind of take that to as like our sabbath or our to prep for yeah the week time ahead. together and get yeah reflect yeah. on the week behind and get ready for the week ahead and yeah that might technically be a violation if you're a uh, Orthodox Jew, but I think yep. uh, the spirit of the thing is that's a, that's a beautiful time you yeah. guys have set aside for each other, and and your it seems like the rest of your week is made better mm -hmm. and possible because you're doing that. Yep. Um, yeah, I think it's important to take time to pause and reflect. But I I thought it'd be good to ask you this question because of the physical analogy. So like. Your brain is a, like a muscle, right? And it needs to pause. It needs to time yep. out. And so sleep is an obvious way. Hydration is an obvious way. Um, but yeah, I just wondered if there was, you know, I felt like you might be able to speak pretty authoritatively to the need for that. And I was yeah. hopeful that you were carrying that lesson through beyond your biceps or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, good. That well, dude, enjoy your lunch. Thanks for chatting. Thank you. All right, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, real quick before you go, I want to invite you to join the conversation. One of the first comments that was left on one of the first episodes was somebody saying that they wanted to join in the conversation the entire time. And I've heard that from a few of you, and I really want to invite you to do that. So if you go to workethicpodcast.com, there is a link to join the conversation where you can click that link and chime in, uh, maybe answer what success is to you, what's your earliest memory of work, your own experience of, of what triggers flow state or your own understanding of grit, but I want to invite you to join the conversation. I would also like to invite you to help grow this conversation and this podcast and show. So if you would, please share, please subscribe, please leave feedback on the show, uh, rate it, 
uh, comment on socials. And then if you would, please, please, please consider supporting uh, the cost, the expense that this show is becoming, and also uh, kind of my own work uh, with the podcast and with the well and well-built bikes. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash the work ethic, or there's also a link at workethicpodcast.com. Thank you so much for considering it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for being a part of this conversation and this project.